Hebrews 7, starting in verse 26. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, (coughs) separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appointed men in their weakness as high priests, the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it is precious and life-giving, and that it is eternal. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but your word, O Lord, endures forever. Use the reading and preaching of your word this morning to convict our hearts, lead us to repentance, comfort us, remind us of the eternal hope that we have in Christ. And Father, if there are any lost sheep among us, use the reading and the preaching of your word to call them home to their good shepherd, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now we're coming to the close of chapter 7, the book of Hebrews. This will actually be our fourth week, just on the seventh chapter of Hebrews. I don't plan to spend that much time on every chapter of the book. I mean, this is one of those chapters of the Bible where the topic being addressed is so rich and so wonderful and so grand that it really is worth us parking here in the seventh chapter of Hebrews for for a little bit. I never really understood how Hebrews 7, how, how rich it is. Uh, it's such a wonderful chapter that really declares the grandness and the greatness of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, not just the work he's done in his life and death and resurrection, but the work that he is doing today, right now, for his people as he makes intercession for us in the heavenly throne room. Since I was not here last week, I do want to take just a brief moment to remind us of what chapter 7 is all about. The chapter is about Jesus Christ serving as our great high priest. In verses 1 through 10, the author of Hebrews began to compare and contrast the high priesthood that God had established in the Old Testament law with Jesus Christ and his great high priesthood. And we saw how in those verse, first uh, 10 verses, the Old Testament figure of Melchizedek, that priestly king who blessed Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, was a type a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek arrived on the scene in Genesis 14 after Abraham had won a great military victory. And Melchizedek comes to Abraham as the king of peace and righteousness. And he blesses Abraham. And he fed Abraham with bread and wine. And remember how we said Genesis 14 never gives a genealogy on Melchizedek, which... Uh, was very odd for the book of Genesis because as you read Genesis, it's filled with genealogies. It's very concerned to give the fathers and sons and things like that. And also Genesis uh, is very concerned with recording the deaths of important figures throughout the book. Melchizedek's death is never recorded. And so from that perspective, Genesis gives the appearance of Melchizedek having no beginning 
and no end. Now, obviously, he did. He had a father and a mother. He was still a human being, and he did die, but Genesis doesn't record it. And so the appearance of an everlasting kingly priest is given, an eternal priestly king, the king of righteousness and peace, who blesses God's people, who feeds them with bread and wine. And this is clearly a picture of Jesus Christ. And it's Melchizedek's priesthood then that the author of Psalm 110 says the promised Messiah would hold. The Messiah would not be of the priesthood of the Levites as the Old Testament priests in the tabernacle and in the temple were, but rather the Messiah would be of the priesthood of Melchizedek. The author goes on to show how then in verses 11 through 19, the Levitical priesthood with its sacrifices of bulls and goats could never achieve real atonement for sin. It could never achieve the perfection we need to have, uh, we need to have to have peace with the Holy God and have access to Him. But Christ's priesthood, His Melchizedekan priesthood, gives us the atonement for sin that we truly need, the perfection we need, the completeness we need to have peace and fellowship and communion with the Holy God. And the power of Christ's priesthood is grounded upon, the author of Hebrews says, his indestructible life. It's grounded upon his resurrection. Well, then finally, as we heard two weeks ago, verses 20 through 25, we heard that unlike the Levitical priesthood, which was always changing because the priests would die and were constantly being replaced by new priests, Christ's priesthood, because he has conquered death in his resurrection, because his life is indestructible, his priesthood is a permanent priesthood, a never-ending priesthood. Christ always lives to intercede to pray for us, to make our case known before the Father, and He will never stop doing this priestly work on our behalf. He will never rest from it. He's there right now, brothers and sisters, praying and interceding and mediating and ministering for us and on our behalf before our Heavenly Father. And because of all this, because of the grand truth of Christ's permanent, eternal priesthood, we... Though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we, though we were enemies of God, we, though God is holy and we are not, we are able to draw close to God, have fellowship with Him, have communion with Him, call Him the God of all creation. We have been given the right to call Him Abba, Father, if we look to Jesus Christ in faith. It's such a wonderful, glorious, comforting truth, isn't it, brothers and sisters, to know that the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, is serving right now as our priest, as our King, the King of righteousness and peace. It's such a wonderful and comforting thought to know that Jesus Christ is the one who has secured our salvation and who secures our status as children of the true and living God. Now, in our passage this morning, the author of Hebrews reaches the pinnacle of his discussion on Christ's eternal great high priesthood. And these last three verses, these last three verses ring out like a doxology 
a great hymn of praise. It's as if the author's heart is overflowing with praise and worship and thankfulness for who Jesus is and what he has done and continues to do for us. These verses are indeed a hymn to the high priest. And he begins the hymn by saying, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. The NIV translation says such a high priest meets our needs. Another way to say this is such a high priest is fitted for us. Jesus Christ is the one. Jesus Christ's priesthood is the priesthood that can perfectly deal with the predicament that we were in. That is to say, Christ can deal with our weakness, deal with our sin, deal with our imperfectness, deal with our unholiness, deal with our wickedness, deal with our incompleteness, deal with our broken fellowship between the holy God and us, deal with all of this and give us atonement, forgiveness, righteousness, perfection, completeness, and the holiness that we need to approach the Father's throne with confidence. And we can understand how Christ is perfectly suited, perfectly equipped, perfectly fitted to serve as our great high priest by seeing two things from our passage this morning. We see first that he is perfectly fitted to us because of who he is. And then we will see he is perfectly fitted because of what he has done. First, Christ is perfectly fitted to serve as our great high priest forever because of who he is. Look at verse 26 with me. The author says Jesus is holy, innocent, and unstained. Now, it's very interesting what these three words mean. When I was doing my study on the sermon, uh, those three adjectives, holy, innocent, unstained, stood out to me. And, and as is my practice, when words stand out to me, I like to go into my little Bible software thing and do word studies on what those words mean, look at them in the Greek, and, 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 and find out what they would have meant in their original context. And it was interesting to me because as I was reading through each word, I was seeing a common thread. I was seeing the meanings of these three words overlapping. They are so closely knitted together. Their definitions overlap so much that in essence, I think that what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is indeed holy, holy, holy. There is none like him. And indeed, this is how the scriptures speak of Jesus Christ. When John, in chapter 4, the book of Revelation, has a vision of Jesus Christ upon his throne and of the heavenly beings worshiping Jesus Christ as the Lord God Almighty, he writes that he sees these heavenly beings and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is Jesus Christ, our great high priest. He is holy. 
He is more than holy. He is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy. Unlike the priests of the old covenant, unlike the Levitical priests, unlike the high priests of Israel, who could only give the appearance of holiness by washing themselves in the ceremonial washings, by clothing themselves in the priestly garments, Jesus, our great high priest, He is truly holy, both outwardly and inwardly, He is holy. He stands before His Father's throne as our representative, as our mediator, as one who is holy, pure, and spotless. His status before other men in His earthly life was blameless and innocent. It was holy. No one had anything against Him. He never sinned against anyone else. He never stopped loving His neighbor as He loved Himself. He is unstained by sin in every sense of the word. And this is the one, Jesus Christ, who is holy, 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 who is representing you right now, brothers and sisters, before the holy God. The author of Hebrews is overwhelmed with who Jesus is. And he continues to expound upon the person of Jesus Christ, expound upon the nature of our great high priest by saying that he is separated from sinners. Now, it's important to know what the author of Hebrews means by this. And the, the Puritan John Owen is very helpful here. John Owen wrote in the 17th century, in, the, in his commentary in the book of Hebrews, he said, Jesus was not separated or set apart from sinners in his nature. For God sent his own son, and then he quotes Romans 8, in the likeness of sinful men. Owen continues, he was not set apart from men, during his ministry on earth. He did not live apart from everyone in a desert. He spoke with tax collectors and prostitutes and hypocritical Pharisees rebuked him for this. Owen says, rather, being set apart from sinners declares what Christ is in his state and condition. He is holy and undefiled. He was separated from sin in its nature, causes, and effects, And he had to be like this for our benefit. He became the middle person between God and sinners and had to be separate from those sinners in the thing, things he stood in their place for. Oh, and we go on to say, unholy sinners stand in need of a holy priest and a holy sacrifice. What we do not have in ourselves, he writes, We must have in a priest or we will not be accepted by the holy God who has such pure eyes that he cannot look on sin. And he says, such a high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was separated from sinners, brothers and sisters, in that he became like us in every way except he was without sin. Finally, as it pertains to Christ's person, His nature, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus was exalted above the heavens. The point of this here is one we've already heard in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is exalted. He is better. He is higher than all other heavenly beings. Better than the angels, as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1 of the book. And he has seated the right hand of the majesty on high, given all authority and power forever and ever. Because he is holy, because he was separated from sinners, and that although he was tempted in every way, he was without sin. 
God has exalted him and given him the name that is above, that is above every name. And now our great high priest sits where we need him the most. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high interceding for us. This is a glorious priest that we have. How glorious and wonderful is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is indeed the Lord God Almighty, whoever lives as our eternal high priest. Secondly, then, after showing us who Jesus is, how in his person and character he is perfectly fitted to serve as our great high priest, the author of Hebrews now shows us what Jesus has done so that he may serve as our great high priest. Once again, in verse 27, The author of Hebrews compares the work of the Levitical high priest with the work of Jesus Christ. And he reminds us again that the Levitical high priest could never ultimately meet our needs as sinful people because they themselves were sinners. Look at what he says. Jesus has no need like those high priests, like the Levitical high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First, for his own sins, and then for the sins of those people. That's what the Levitical priests did. They offered sacrifices daily in the tabernacle, in the temple. There was a constant flow of blood. There was a constant aroma of burning flesh and entrails rising up to heaven. Why? Because sin was never ultimately dealt with. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of the people. They can never make atonement. They can never give us the perfection we need before God. And these animal sacrifices were not just made by the priests on behalf of the people of Israel for their sins. They were made by the priests on their own behalf as well because they too were sinners. They needed to make sacrifices for themselves just as much as the people of Israel needed them to make sacrifices for them. It was a never-ending, day-in and day-out work. The priests in the tabernacle never sat down. They never rested from their labors because it was constant. It was ongoing. But Jesus, because of who He is, because He is holy, 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 because He is separated from sinners and above all heavenly creatures, His work is different. He had no need to offer sacrifices for his sins. He had no need to offer sacrifices daily for the people of God because Jesus did it once for all. Once for all time, brothers and sisters, once for all time and for all the sins of all his people when he offered up himself on the altar of the cross. When Jesus is our great high priest, the high priest who is perfectly holy went to the altar, the altar of the cross. He did not just offer up the blood of bulls and goats. He offered up the once for all time perfect sacrifice. He offered up upon that altar the true spotless lamb. He offered up himself. Profoundly, brothers and sisters, Jesus, the great high priest, offered up himself. He is both the perfect priest 
and the perfect sacrifice. And this is amazing to us. How can the priest and the sacrifice be the same? But at Jesus Christ, they are. And it's as amazing as it is, as profound as it is, it's a glorious gospel truth. Jesus offered up himself as a once-for-all-time perfect sacrifice, his own blood, and in this sacrifice, this high priestly work, it is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrificial system pointed towards. This perfect priestly sacrifice did indeed achieve the perfection that all of God's people need. It completely and finally dealt with the sins of his people. Every sin that we have committed, every sin that we may be committing right now, even as we gather in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, every sin, because sin is not just our outward actions, it's also in our thoughts. Every sin we may be, com- uh, may be committing right now, every sin that we will do throughout our entire lives, every sin was fully, completely, finally dealt with once for all time at the cross. Our assurance of forgiveness passage from Hebrews 10 this morning, it said it. Christ, through His once offering of Himself, perfected for all time His people. And, and it's this grand and glorious truth that the author reflects upon as he concludes chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews. The earthly priest appointed to serve by the law of God, they were weak. They were unable to deal with sin. But the great high priest who was appointed to his priesthood not by the external laws given to Moses, but rather by the very oath of God himself. He is appointed as a perfect high priest. He is appointed as the very Son of God, God's true and perfect King, to make complete, final, and everlasting satisfaction for our sins, thus guaranteeing, thus securing our place in the heavenly throne room of God forever. It's no wonder to me that the author of Hebrews ends chapter 7 with this great doxology, this grand hymn to the great high priest. How can our hearts not sing and rejoice and overflow with joy when we consider who Jesus is and what he has done for us, his people?